The interviews and discussions on this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. Hello and welcome to this Stockhead podcast. I'm your host, Peter Strachan. Today, we're delighted to be talking to Ancilla Energy, who is a UK-based energy development company. Uh, We have with us uh, Dr. Andy Matho, who's the Chief Financial Officer, and Chris Lewis, who's the Chief Executive Officer of Ancilla. Welcome, gentlemen. Hi, Peter. Morning. Great to have you on board. I'd like to kick off with uh, talking about your recent acquisition of the Hartshead Resources a portfolio of properties in the Southern North Sea. Uh, with this acquisition, you're picking up uh, 2C gas resources. What was the motivation behind uh, moving in that way? Perhaps I could start with you, Andy, for, for moving into the Southern North Sea. We see the, the Southern North Sea as uh, probably one of the most attractive basins in uh, in Europe for developing these type of um, of assets. Uh, the basin in the North Sea is in the Southern Gas Basin is predominantly um, gas as opposed to oil uh, that we see in other European basins. And um, there's still uh, a large amount of resources there to be uh, developed and discovered. Um, we've also got quite um, uh, a plethora of infrastructure in place for the evacuation of the gas. And uh, there's an ongoing uh, energy transition, as you're probably aware of, um, to renewables. And uh, we see that gas in the Southern Gas Basin is going to play a very important role in that, including gas-to-wire initiatives. And probably finally, uh, one of the other reasons for being in the basin is it's in Incredibly um, liquid in terms of uh, M and A uh, activity. Uh-huh. So it's it's quite a, a fortunate um, acquisition, I think, in, in given the what's happening in the the recovery from the, the pandemic lows of prices that we've seen, and uh, we've seen how uh, you know a couple of cold days in South America and Southern America, and all of a sudden people are willing to pay a hundred dollars a gigajoule or more for spot gas, uh, and you're in a in a pretty good position. I wonder if Chris. You could tell us about how much is known technically about these uh, gas fields that have been discovered and and what needs to be done from a technical point of view to get um, the understanding of the dynamics of the flow rates and so forth from these fields before you make your final investment decision. Yeah, absolutely, Peter. I mean, the the, the fields we've picked up, um, there are there are four um, gas fields. They all have coverage by 3D seismic. They all have multiple wells already drilled in them. And they all have some historic production. Um, And predominantly, you know, these fields have been underdeveloped and underdepleted by previous operators, um, simply by virtue of being, you know, rather small um, for the super majors, but obviously very material to us. So we've come in after these um, these areas have been relinquished by the previous operators um, and been involved in a competitive bid round in the UK to uh, to be awarded these by the UK government. But they're very mature. So, I mean, I'll give you an example of one of the fields. One of the fields has got, um, you know, 200 um, or more BCF of gas in place. 
um, has got four or five different well penetrations um, and has produced nine BCF from one frac in one well. So we've got some really hard data about how the wells will perform, how the fracs will perform, um, what the volume of gas we've got in place is, and, and, and how the reservoir will flow. So really, in terms of subsurface risk, there's very, very little. So what do we have to do to move these forwards to a final investment decision? Well, the main thrust of the work we'll be doing will be putting together a, a coherent field development plan um, to effectively uh, develop and deplete these gas fields, submitting that to the UK government for their approval, um, and then going into detailed engineering design. So we've got an executable development plan. And that's the, the, the main thing we need to do to move these resources to reserves. And, and, and then obviously, you know, it's the financing in place to have an executable plan. But we really understand the fields and the reservoirs very well from all the historical data we've already got. Yeah, well, you know, it sounds like there's they're very well understood uh, sort of technically and, uh, you know, you're in a strong path to go forward. Now, underpinning these projects, Andy, would be the UK gas market. Now, I understand that, you know, there whilst there are some uh, new gas fields being developed in the North Sea, the uh, UK still is about 50% imported gas, which means they're relying on Russian gas and they're relying more and more on uh, liquefied natural gas, which comes from Egypt or the Middle East or, or uh, the United States increasingly. So what's the outlook there for the pricing for UK gas and, and how is that going to impact on your, uh, your permits? That's quite an interesting uh, question, Peter. The, the, the UK gas market is undergoing quite a significant change as we um, progress towards renewables and electrification. Um, in terms of the, the the gas diet of the UK, 50% of uh, the UK's gas is produced domestically. Um, 25% of the gas is piped in from Norway and a little from Europe. Uh, but um, just to correct you, in terms of Russian gas, the UK only actually imports about 1% of its gas from Russia. Um, most uh, Europe is a very uh, is very heavily dependent. On, on Russian gas, not the UK. And then the, the, the big swing factor for the UK um, gas diet is LNG, which makes up the remaining um, 25%. Um, as we've seen recently, when there is a shortage of uh, LNG cargo ships or uh, a price uh, impact, uh, for example, in uh, Asian LNG, as there was in, in January, that, that translates straight through to the UK market because we're unable to uh, produce more than the 50% from our domestic uh, supply. Uh, the UK structurally has a very low um, uh, percentage of its annual capacity uh, usage as, as storage. And so we we ha effectively have a very tight market in It's very just in, in time in really. Yeah, it's a very it's a very tight market. So any any supply uh, uh, interruptions uh, immediately translate to an increase in the spot price and that's what we saw in January. We we saw the spot price in the UK increase to over 80 pence a therm 
um, given that it was, you know, trading at 15, 20 pence a therm last, last May. Mm, so 80 pence a therm is going to be in excess of sort of $9 a gigajoule for us here in Australia, nine US dollars a gigajoule, which is uh, a pretty fair price. And of course, uh, yeah, it has been very volatile. And, and I guess the market's been not so good for the local producers over the last 12 months or so when we had LNG everywhere for down to as low as $2 in Asia. Um, and I, I guess around your way, around $4. So that would be putting pressure on the local producers. But as we go forward and that sort of lake of LNG begins to dry up, um, the prices uh, domestically, I'd see perhaps the domestic prices in the UK going up. Would that be right, uh, Andy? I think that, you know, probably the best indicator of, of, of the price in, in, in the UK is the, um, the, the national balance point um, MVP uh, futures curve. Um, and that, sort of embeds all the wisdom within the market uh, in in the UK and goes out to 2025, 2026. And what we're seeing from the futures curve is that um, the, the the seasonal um, demand pricing in the winter months is, is in, in excess now of, um, of 40 pence a third, which is in excess of four and a half dollars uh, per gigajoule. Um, yeah. So that's a very healthy price um, for companies like Hartshead um, at sort of economics um, on, on projects at, at that sort of gas price are uh, extremely um, healthy. And I think that's probably the best indicator that we've got of uh, where the price is going in terms of uh, the futures curve. And what about your costs there? I mean, over the last 12 or 18 months, we've seen in Asia – pretty scarce amount of money being spent on uh, exploration, certainly, and even uh, project development. And so the I'd imagine the contractors are all pretty hungry and sharpening their pencil when it comes to, uh, you know, the service services and engineering costs that you could perhaps uh, expect to achieve. Yeah, happy to, happy to. Yeah, I mean, we are, as, as you'd expect, Peter, we are now in um, fairly, fairly active discussions with uh, a number of service companies in the UK um, who are very experienced in, you know, UK um, oil and gas development projects. And you're absolutely right. I mean, they they, they have seen a, a fair dip in the workload that they've had coming through during the course of 2020. You know, we saw commodity prices soften massively. And obviously, you know, there was the impact of COVID. Um, and so there's a lot less work getting done from that perspective as well. So they are, I mean, they're all very keen. They are, as you say, sharpening their pencils. Um, you know, and we're, we're discussing some, some interesting um, possible uh, commercial arrangements with some of these service companies that, that if we can get some of these guys on board on the terms we're currently discussing, we'll, we'll make you know moving the development forward very cost effective for us uh, and very interesting to have some partners who have got you know significant experience in developing gas fields in the UK. So you know we'd hope to be able to update the market about where we are with those discussions in the coming weeks and months. So, Chris, is there a potential then for, uh, you know, work for equity in a project or partially paid by equity in the project? 
Well, there are a number of different commercial arrangements that service companies and off-takers and infrastructure owners have been looking at and, and working with in the last few years. I don't imagine these days service companies are particularly enamored with taking equity. And in fact, you know, we're seeing we're seeing a reversal of that trend. So you see okay. uh, a, a rather well-known company called Petrofac is, is, is exiting their equity interests in a number of fields. Oh, okay. um, but what you see yeah. more of is things like deferred payments, um, things like, you know, payments based on milestones such as reaching FID, um, deals where there are deferrals based on um, further work and future work in terms of engineering or procurement or construction contracts, things like that. And then when we reach the point of potentially taking an investment decision to execute a development plan, there are the sorts of arrangements you can look at with some of the off-takers where they will prepay to secure a gas supply for a three-year or five-year period once you start producing. Or you can look at talking to some of the the infrastructure funds who will build some of the the main infrastructure, particularly the pipelines, and then take repayment on a tariff basis as you produce your gas. So there's a bunch of different ways we can look at funding both the work we've got right now in terms of the field development planning and then, you know, the future work when we get into actually executing a development plan. Yeah, well, that's a, a, a very common uh, way of funding. And we've certainly here in Western Australia, we've seen Alcoa paying up front for gas and, uh, you know, on various terms. So that seems like a viable option. Now, you've got in your four discovered fields, uh, two sea resources there of about 300, just over 350 billion cubic feet of gas, and you'll be developing those fields sequentially. What's What would be your plan in terms of the volume of gas on a daily or annual sales gas that you'd hope to be able to ramp up to? Uh, and I think you're looking at first gas sometime in 2024, uh, Chris? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, what we're, what we're looking at with the phase one fields, which are um, just north of 200 BCF of gas. These are the ones we, we understand best and that we feel confident we can put into field development planning immediately. We're probably looking at a, a, a gas production rate of around about 100, 120, possibly 150 million standard cubic feet a day from both fields combined. And we will we'll design... Mm, substantial. The, yeah, yeah, and we'll design the um, subsea infrastructure to handle that, and we'll also then be routing that through third-party infrastructure. And so the whole design will be based upon some form of a plateau north of 100 million standard cubic feet a day. Um, what we'll look to do then is bring the phase two fields in behind the phase one fields and really sort of backfill that plateau so we can maintain a pretty healthy plateau rate for a number of years. So, Chris, uh, any uh, gas processing or uh, condensate stripping or whatever is required, that's done third party in an existing processing facility onshore? Yeah, well, I mean, we're looking at um, a, a variety of options at the moment. The main, the main thrust of the field development planning that we're doing or about to launch into right now is, is really honing in on, on what the best development concept is. And that's, that's joining really the reservoir to the sales point and all the bits in between. 
So it depends on what the host can manage and what the host can handle. Um, it depends what we need to get done uh, onshore on the, the main delivery point. And it depends what sort of infrastructure we want to put in place on our field. And it's really joining that entire system up. Uh, but certainly one of the options and, and a very strong option that we've got is relying on a lot of the third party infrastructure to provide the, uh, the gas processing abilities. Yeah, well, that's going to keep the costs down. So, Andy, uh, looking at the hard numbers, you've got, what, seven or eight million dollars in the bank now and a program to spend sort of much of that over the next 12 or 18 months in going through the, the uh, technical feasibility work. That's right. We've got um, post the um, fundraising where we now have over eight million Australian um, dollars in in the company, which is um, sufficient to through a um, work program to Q2 next year. To and, and the important point here is is getting to the the preliminary, uh, preliminary uh, field development plan, uh, which yeah. is the pre-feed stage before we go into uh, the front-end engineering design. Um, so we are we think that we're adequately um, covered and financed uh, uh, to uh, to that point for phase one. And once and I, one would assume that once you've completed that, you'll have a, a fairly watertight way forward, uh, a nice document to show potential uh, funding partners, the sort of people that Chris was talking about, maybe offtake partners or other partners. Who might like to come in and, and help you with the uh, the final uh, construction and the move towards uh, production? Correct. That's that's at that, at that junction. That's the sort of conversations that we can have. By that point, we should have had um, uh, the conversations with the various uh, off takers uh, and third party hosts. Um, we will have uh, completed um, the preliminary stage of the field um, development plan. And then we'll be poised to go into the front end engineering design. So at that stage, there will be um, it, it's a it's a, a very significant milestone for the company. Yes. Yeah. So by the middle of next year, twenty twenty two, we'll be in a position where you should be um, getting down to the hard negotiations with partners, and then through twenty twenty two and twenty three. Uh, you'll be in a construction phase with gas sometime in uh, 2024. Well, as we go into the second half of next year, we'll yep. be going into the detailed design stage of uh, of phase one. Um, and then that, once that has been completed, then into 2023, we will then be going into engineering, fabrication and construction. And yep. then that leads into um, 2024 when we're hoping to have first gas from phase one projects yeah and then just finally chris um there's some also some sort of exploration upside if you like or un undiscovered estimated resources of about 140 bcf i'd imagine that once the project is up and running and you've got some cash flow then you could turn sort of surplus cash into a little bit of work to have a look at those projects that might be tied in at a later date very much peter there are certainly in, in the acreage we hold and in acreage adjacent to us, you know, a number of small exploration prospects. These are all near field, low risk structural prospects covered by 3D seismic. So very easy to see, very easy to understand. 
the challenge with drilling out any sort of exploration portfolio where we are at the moment is discovering 40 BCF becomes rather difficult to commercialize if you don't have the infrastructure. So developing yeah. the phase one fields, putting the infrastructure in place, having you know easy tie-in points means we can drill out a low-risk portfolio and have a lot of um, follow-on gas resources to come through the infrastructure that we'll build. So it really gives us the the, the opportunity that and the cash flow to add um, you know quite a lot of volume into um, some of the the, the the infrastructure that we're building. So at that point, the the small fish become sweet. Exactly, exactly. And mm. and without what we're doing, you wouldn't be able to commercialise any of these. But once we've got um, the the subsea infrastructure, the pipelines, and the connection to the third party hosts in place, it, it starts to yep. make sense drilling 40, 50, 60 BCF prospects because you tie them in okay. very very quickly uh, and very cheaply. Well, gentlemen, that's. Pretty exciting, and thank you for going through that in in detail. Uh, Ancil has set its path in the South uh, North uh, Sea area. Uh, you've got uh, a lower risk way to build value for your shareholders uh, with known, well well understood assets in the south of that uh, basin, and you know with very little exploration, very little if any exploration risk at this stage of uh, of the. Uh, the game forward. So thank you for coming in and we look forward to monitoring progress and certainly later in the year, uh, once you're further down the track with your feasibility work, we'd love to get you back in and, and talk once more about the uh, the developments of your, your gas proposal. So thanks once again to Ancilla, to uh, Dr Andy Matho and to Chris Lewis uh, for coming in and talking to us today. Thanks so much, Peter. Thank you, Peter. Look forward to uh, chatting again later in the year.